0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Hydaelyn and beyond. My name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hello, Levi.
1: Hello, Jen. Today, we are starting on the second coil of Bahamut. Uh, we're going to be doing the first, I think, first three turns today, and then next time we'll be wrapping up turn four plus some extra business as well. First off, what happened last time, Jin?
0: Last time we did the we did the first coil.
1: We call that the binding coil.
0: I've always thought that all of them were binding coils. Like it's binding coil one, binding coil two. Just yeah. It's real so,
1: weird. All it is is that in the, the duty finder, it says binding coil for the first set, second for the second set, and final for the third set. Some very consistent naming.
0: Of course. So within the the end of the first coil, we find a, a super secret elegant chamber that Alize turned quote unquote on which opened up a whole other chamber. Chamber is underselling it, um, but this space was actually holding Bahamut's entire head. It looked like he was being either reconstructed or bound or both by these, well, coils. And further along in the chamber, we see Louis Sois. And then further down the line, we see someone in, like, Garlean armor. Alizé is left feeling very confused about why he is still there, why he's not returning, who is the other person. We bail, and it's clear that there's, there are further mysteries to uncover, and we need more people because this is the whole thing. And that's where we're at.
1: Cool. Mm-hmm. We pick up again at the Waking Sands. Alice has arrived ahead of us, and Orion J reports that as we emerge from the binding coil, an etheric disturbance was observed, suggesting primal activity. It originated from Kartunow Flats, which is the impact point of Dalamud. Elize wonders if that is where we found the dormant Bahamut's head down below, deep below Kartunow Flats. It's obvious these tunnels that we've been in so far travel for miles underground, so it could be that they converge underneath Kartunow. And it's likely that Bahamut will keep on regenerating, feeding off the lands either until he is fully restored. But Alizé says that she will not give up, much like her grandfather. He's obviously been keeping watch over Bahamut these past five years. That's why we haven't seen him for so long. This is the denial Alizé phase right now. Right. Where he, he's, he's, he's still down he's, here doing stuff. Yeah, he's, he's doing
0: very important business.
1: And he just can't talk to me because he's so busy with his business. Right. Uriand J is likewise skeptical. Maybe Alizé imagined seeing louis Sois? But no, our character saw him, and Alize saw him, and it's definitely him, and he's doing great, and he's helping. But maybe we can uncover more of the mystery if we investigate other fragments of Dalamud, as there were two major fragments besides the first coil that impacted the Earth. So, Orianje says, cool, let's rally the Grand Companies to combat this potential threat, this potential realm-ending threat here, but Alize says, no, we got this ourselves. And No is busy with his politicking and alliances, so he's got it covered, probably. So I feel like here, Alize is really trying to keep this for herself, honestly. Yes, it makes sense to maybe tell the neighbors that there's some deep shit going on and maybe like be on guard for that. But she deliberately says, no, we don't want to involve the grand companies here. And I'm pretty sure it's because she wants to keep No out of her business she wants to do this herself without him stepping in to be his overbearing kind of manipulative controlling self
0: yeah maybe she's kind of i mean obviously she's lived with that dynamic her entire life and now she's able to do something by herself and also the fact that like louisois is very much wrapped in and what's going on so it, it feels completely fucking personal to her she says that maybe if we can find the other two fragments of Dalamud, we will definitely find Louis Sois, or at least figure out what is going on. At this point, what we thought was a new primal existing deep underground beneath Castrum Oxidens is um, its a large chunk of Dalamud, uh, the remnants of Bahamut, and Elise's grandfather. Um, and then so our findings were taken to Rambro's of the Swains of St. Koinach, And in return, he offered his theory concerning the elegant structure and entombing Bahamut. So Dalamud was constructed to gather the rays of the sun and then turn that bounty unto the crystal tower. They recognized Bahamut's abilities to manipulate energies of unimaginable magnitude. Therefore, they trapped him inside Dalamud as its living core. And it's clear from what we've seen so far that, um... There's no like endangered species act going on in Allegan culture. You know they see they see these beings with incredible abilities, and they will h- hesitate not at all to imprison them and keep them in this dead alive stasis to pull out or you, you know use them as batteries, use them as as foci, use them as w- like fucking you know uh, grenades. You know whatever. So as advanced as they were, you know, they're gross. So in addition, so, you know, Rambro's continues. The devices we saw around the head of Bahamut are apparently called internment hulks of the Ragnarok class.
1: These are the devices that are beaming energy into Bahamut, either containing or regenerating or whatever the um, the primal's body. Correct. And these devices have two purposes. One is to act as Binding coils.
0: Mm-hmm. And they also are meant... That's mint- the
1: name of the thing, Jen.
0: Correct. Yes. Because
1: we're, we're in, in the binding coils, but only the first one.
0: One of them is binding.
1: The other ones are second, and the third one is final. final. Anyway, Polks also are supposed to feed either to the prisoner. So these are actually... They're both containing and regenerating Bahamut. He
0: can't die. He also can't live or escape. So absolute living nightmare
1: because our current theory about primals and their nature says that they require prayer to sustain them so maybe these hulks are kind of simulating prayer energy they're
0: beaming prayer at him yeah a simulated prayer which is the implications of that are tremendous yep um so
1: we don't want that
0: uh yeah however i mean if they found a way to simulate prayer like, holy shit, at the end of the day, we need to turn these things off. So we need to destroy them or turn them off. And then only then can Bahamut's form finally disperse into ether. So now we're on to try to find the other two fragments.
1: Right. And there is like a time skip in here. You can come back, turn the quest in, and then get the new quest immediately. But there is an implied time skip. And back in the day, it was a patched cycle between the two coils. So... During that downtime that happened back then, Jay has scoured the land, he talked to Rambrose, and so on, to find the entrance to a second coil. This is the enormous hunk of Allegantech tech that looms over North Shroud. We've seen this, I'm sure, running around the area. It is by that fucked up part in Western North Shroud, where the ground is all sundered, and there are floating rocks and so on it that is, are charged yeah, with ethereal energy. Yeah, it is energy. barren. That's just outside of Fall Gord Float. Yep. Yeah. And you can see towering over that stuff, there is a big portion of a like a, a metal ring or something like that that is just jutting out of the ground and it probably terminates maybe a mile or so over the, the ground's surface. Just again like a, a shattered portion of some ring. Through the gaps in the ring's exterior, we can see ruptured power conduits.
0: At this point, nobody has breached this structure. Um, though the Order of the Twin Adder at this point has constructed a path to the entrance.
1: I've got some thoughts on this because our hookup here is Aniel. Aniel?
0: Aniel or...
1: Aniel sounds Uh, most organic, I think. Okay. Who is a serpent lieutenant that's posted up in Falgord Float. At first, she seems very much like Jabroca in Wineport, our local contact for the first coil. Right. But she says... She like all but says that she's abusing her privileges as a Grand Company member to do work for Alize. So it, I, I wonder actually if she's actually more like a spy for Alize than a person who joined the Grand Company and then Alize tapped because she talks about just being like a private, but she's doing this recon. So it really feels like she's an infiltrator in a way. It's for, quote, good that she's doing this, but I don't think that she's on the up and up as far as her actual rank and her position go.
0: You said she was a lieutenant? Private. Oh okay. You said lieutenant at I'm... some point in there and I'm like, no way. Um but yeah, yeah, she's 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 entry level for sure. And, you know, I don't know, the, the the stipulations of their the contractual agreements when they sign up to be an or you know, an Order of the Twin Adder member, um or recruit or whatever. Um if they're allowed to take side gigs or Oh
1: no, wait, wait, wait. She is a lieutenant, actually.
0: Oh, she's deep in there then.
1: NAL is a lieutenant.
0: So and it might be like this is something that has um, been a curiosity for her, and so she's you know maybe kind of when Alize maybe was putting out feelers, uh, maybe Nal approached her and was like, "Hey, I can help you. Kind of, I can feed you some information about this, well, or it, at least get the order of the Twin Adder to you know make it accessible to you."
1: I don't think so, actually, because we're sent on now to a private. This guy's the private. Uh, he was working for Nal who is posted up at the base of the fragment. He's the one who has located a way onto this coil. This guy is not wearing Adder's colors whatsoever. He's just wearing like a green hooded tunic. We go talk to him and he tells us to fuck off until we explain that we work for NAL. Hmm. So, I mean, it's it's not clarified, but I feel like these people are like Alizé's private mercenaries, actually, and not official Grand Company members, even though some might be either...
0: I think NAL is probably taking some cash under the table for this and then this other guy is just you know part of their little underground scheme this speaks to alizé wanted to kind of
1: keep this closer to her yeah, chest yep exactly so the scout tells us that the empire has not yet found this fragment there are no imperials here it's just this group that are working to clear an inroad into the coil the inroad as it turns out will be like onto the first chunk of earth but whatever Anyway, the scout goes on to explain that the controls to the coil are probably located somewhere in the bottom-most layer, past several layers of Allegan defenses. And Alize is going to be arriving soon, so you saw the coil, good job, go back to Falgord Float. We do so, and we head back to see Aniel, and she's like, okay, how'd your trip go? When up walks, at first I think Alize, but no, it's actually Alpha No. Who just strolls up here to meddle and things. He's
0: been kind of spying on this whole thing. He knows what we're up to. He knows why we're here. I, that's how he knew to find us here. And he's like, you know what? Let's. Can I have a word? So now he kind of launches into a bit of a, a thing. Um. Oh God, these kids, they need to be in family therapy.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. Um.
0: Though he would deny it were Alizé present, her admiration of their grandfather exceeded even his own. I think that's becoming pretty apparent. Um, so in service of her grandfather's memory, Alize has pushed herself to the point of risking her life in pursuit of Eorcia's salvation. While that position is not entirely dissimilar to our own, the thing that worries Elphino the most is her fixation on their grandfather's shade, because he is completely fucking living in reality. And this is not their grandfather. This is This is a a, a facsimile thereof. She cannot hope to find answers or purpose from a false representation of someone who is long dead. So he's worried that she is she's way too wrapped up emotionally in this, you know, trying to free her grandfather from this prison. So when she, when she releases Bahamut, Louis Sois obligations down there will be, uh, will be, will be done. And he can come back to their house and live happily ever after. If only. So her greater purpose, and we know she has one, uh, is being clouded by her desire to, you know, quote unquote, save her grandfather. And he wants to make sure that, while we're accompanying her on all of these adventures, uh, that we're not further enabling these delusions.
1: There's another layer here too, and this becomes a kind of like a sub theme of this quest line. Alphinaud thinks that Alizé needs her, quote, own reason to fight. Because right now she is so enamored with her grandfather that she has borrowed his philosophy. And despite not really having, quote unquote, reasons to espouse it and to internalize it, she is still practicing what he preached. And Alfino believes that Alize needs to come to her own awakening and find what motivates her as a person, not just what she thinks her grandfather would want. Correct. And when the time comes for the fate of the realm to rest on our shoulders, we all must have strong personal convictions.
0: Of all the things one could say about Alize, not having deep personal convictions isn't fucking one of them. Well,
1: I think that might be you kind of borrowing your future impressions of her because right now we haven't seen her for shit. You're right.
0: You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. So right now we just see her as someone who is like um, maybe being a little contrarian against what her brother is doing. Yeah. And she's, she's found something that looks like her grandfather. She believes it's her grandfather. And that's, that's the only thing that's motivating her to push forward in this moment.
1: This quest line though, it is optional. This is really Elise's core story. We need her to have the experiences in this quest line to become Alize.
0: The Alize that we all know, this is where she finds
1: herself. Yes.
0: But yeah, so Alfino kind of asks us to just keep an eye on things and make sure she doesn't lose her mind.
1: Oh, and also don't tell Alize that he was here. Of course. (laughs) Right. So message imparted, he leaves. And we have now unlocked the second coil. Uh, So let's get to it, Jen.
0: Okay. So turn one.
1: Thank you to the players who joined us for this run. We did the whole second coil synced. Great job, everyone. This really steps up the difficulty compared to the first coil. And uh, yeah, we, we did some good work here. Uh, it was really rough overall. Joining us were Goro, Violet Erveld, Farinay Pircenia, Calidus Cadis, Raven Ghostpaw, and Chi Miyu. Thank you all once again. So uh, on now to the first turn.
0: this is cool it's definitely cooler than than the first coil in my opinion i agree which which is where you just you get on a fucking garlean elevator we've all been there we get into a bunch of you know catwalks and and grates and and things and then it's like the elegans have taken it from there and like whatever it's elegant shit in
1: corrupted crystals big whoop um i think you're underselling the magnitude of the very first we've
0: already addressed the magnitude of it (laughs) but it dims in comparison to this whole thing maybe it doesn't dim that's not fair but it is very cool because when you look at this stuff from the outside and you're not close to it, all you just see is a bunch of floating rocks in space. When you approach it, it is then that the like the fog of war kind of disappears and you see that. Well, let's,
1: all- let's talk about this for a second before. So we we arrive in turn one of the second coil. We arrive on essentially a floating earthberg. We're on those floating rocks that are all around the exterior of North Shroud and where Second Coil impacted it. Right now, we're looking and seeing a bunch of disconnected rock leading up to the coil, but that's not the case. Because as what Jen called the fog of war, I think it's something else in a sense. It is
0: No, there's a legitimate mechanic going on here. It's, I forget what it is. It it, it might be like, um, like a shroud that the... Um, the structure has encircled itself with.
1: Here's what I think, because as we, we go forward and we see, okay, there's actually no way to pass on to the second floating earthberg, we start walking out. And as we reach the void between them, the screen kind of goes staticky. Right. And when the static clears, we see that on all these floating chunks of rock, there are tendons of corrupted crystal connecting them. So what once seemed to be a bunch of rocks floating in space is actually a big web of all this corrupted ether.
0: Yeah, it is actually like a solid structure.
1: And Alice says when this clears that maybe this distortion was due to some either leaking from the Hulk. I don't think she's correct, though. I think this is like a hologram. Correct. Like a defense yeah, system. Like
0: in a in a fucking like heist film when somebody records videotape of a hallway that is an empty hallway and then they play it. Uh, They play it back for the security guard's benefit, and then they can run up and down the hallway, and all the security guard is seeing is empty hallway.
1: Yeah. So once that resolves, we can then press forward, walking now on the corrupted crystal bridges between the Earthbergs. And we're going to do the same thing twice. We will fight a handful of lunar golems. These are just like the normal golem model with kind of moon rock-esque structures. And they are protecting, though, this crystal pillar called a dark matter cluster,
0: so the these dark matter clusters are what is preventing us from moving forward. So it becomes like a you know one of the things that we have to fight. Um, so we've got you know we've got golems, we got um, corrupted plants, and this uh, this corrupted mass of crystal that we have to destroy, and then we can press on.
1: Because when we kill the dark matter cluster, then some of the corrupted crystal dissipates, clearing the path forward. These feel like they're kind of sentient in a way, or not sentient so much as like they are being controlled by the Hulk itself, because when we attack them, they will summon in the dark matter plants to protect them. Right. So it feels like this is powering barriers that all block entry. This all feels like it's part of the structure, even though it looks organic in a sense. After we clear two of these dark matter clusters, we reach the boss of the first turn. This is Rafflesia.
0: I think it's Rafflesia.
1: Rafflesia. Okay. Uh, Ku is a, a giant leaf trap, one of the um, you know the four-petaled big plants with the viney tendrils. This boss has a few mechanics, though um, we didn't have much trouble with it when we did our clear here. This whole fight takes place on one of these earthbergs. That is just outside one of the breaches that lead into the second coil. This guy is kind of like an ads fight in a sense. It summons in these kind of dark matter briar bulbs which will sprout vines that deal damage and they will grow across the ground of the arena. So it does some area control. You want to burn down these bulbs before they can grow too much because it will congest the arena.
0: Do you think that this is instead of like the elegant defense nodes, this is like the elegant tech or you know, defense mechanisms kind of like pulling from the environment to create like their own
1: minions? I think in this case, maybe because what we learn later on is that the elegans are excellent bioengineers. And we're going to fight in turn to some actual, like, elegant constructs, like, bioconstructs they've released from the containment tanks or whatever. Right. But it might be that on the outside, they've just, like, infected the local plant life and right. kind of co-opted that. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, this is different from the fucking Island of Dr. Moreau shit they've got going on inside.
1: Yeah. Uh, the other reason to kill the adds is that when the boss casts Floral Trap, people inside the thorn areas will be sucked inside the boss and eaten. So uh, kill the adds, long story short.
0: Mm-hmm. Some players may get a debuff that covers them in honey for a while and then a bunch of giant hornets will descend upon you. That's fun.
1: <laughs> fun time being attacked by giant hornets. This boss has an interesting tank buster in the later phases where it will actually like target the tank with a debuff, which is called Swarm. Unlike a cast like most tank busters, this one will resolve when the debuff that's on you ticks off flavorfully you get stung by it like a bunch of bees so just mid up before the debuff ticks whatever there's also tethers too thorn whip which will tether players together with like a bramble vine just break the tether like you always do just run away and then you'll you'll break it no big deal this boss again was really straightforward for us ultimately kill adds heal mid. The usual not really a big deal
0: yeah if you've done dungeons in final fantasy 14 <laughs> yep. this you can totally read it's fine
1: so we defeat that and press on
0: uh so now we're finally inside uh the the fragment or rather the, the hulk and now now this is this is fully elegant elegant times
1: we look inside this area and it looks like we're on the wall of something this whole place is at an odd angle compared to what the architecture is oriented at we're clearly walking on something that is not meant to be at this precise angle,
0: right? Because this fell from the skies and landed in a certain way. It's not going to be.
1: You say that, but like in first turn, there was a embedded a in the corrupted crystal a perfectly functioning pocket door too. So maybe that the, the self writing technology was broken in this coil.
0: <laughs> maybe it was too big or something, or yeah. it was like it didn't need like it. It already had created a very decent barrier. So, like, a little door in a hole of crystal, easy mode for elegant defense shit. This is it is taken care of. Like, we're not going to totally upend the entire fucking fragment, which is thousands of yalms big. You know, they pick their battles.
1: Sure. So we're now in this kind of techno hallway, though. It is like a blue-gray metal broken up by golden wall sections and gold conduit, everything lit by those same computery elegant lights. Uh, We go through the first bulkhead and we are confronted by a figure.
0: Yeah, uh, in front of us stands a man in very distinctive armor. This is the same person, thing, whatever we saw um, at the end of the first coil where Louis Sois and this person were hanging out.
1: This guy is wearing Magitek armor and his helmet has a pair of inward curving horns. Very distinctive silhouette.
0: Yeah, Alize recognizes this armor. But the person who wore it died on the eve of the calamity. But, you know, fuck it. Uh, it that doesn't matter because this is Nail Van Darnus.
1: For those who haven't been briefed on Nail, he is the harbinger of the seventh Umbral era, the one who called down the Red Moon Dalamud. We'll do a full recap next episode when we get more nail business. But as a reminder, though, this is the commander of the 7th Legion during the Eorzean invasion in the Final Fantasy 1.0 days.
0: So we see him as Neil van Darnus. He's wearing the shit, whatever. But when he's addressed as that name, he doesn't recognize it and asks that we not speak it inside this sacred place. Um, The quote unquote one true deity has given him the name Nail Deus Darnus. The one true deity being Bahamut.
1: When Alize calls out Nail, he acts confused for a moment and then says, No, that was the name of a fool who perished on the eve of the promised age of glory.
0: Okay. And if we fuck with Bahamut and his children within this place, we will answer to him. Then he gets all like dramatic with it and he falls backwards off the platform into a new chamber that just opened up behind him and disappears.
1: Disappearing yeah. into nothingness.
0: How, how many movies have we seen with this maneuver? A lot. <laughs> but, you know, he can have his moment. That's fine.
1: So we press on now and we jump down to a floating upside down pyramid with a flat surface. And we're now going to be on this like floating elevator platform flying through the interior of the coil. We will be whisked up through the coil, following the curvature of the interior. And this essentially is like another elevator fight right here. But we are treated to this kind of spectacle of all the inner workings of this giant device. And we keep going between sectors. I believe we skip sector four, as was called out during our run earlier on. Not sure why. Maybe sector four lost its monsters. The containment tanks failed, so Something. nothing comes out. But it will keep on pausing at various sectors on the coil's interior, and enemies will pop out and attack us. We must defeat them for the platform to continue on.
0: It's like Willy Wonka's Great Glass Elevator. It's moving in all sorts of weird directions and then popping in with stuff.
1: It's really cool. This segment is very visually impressive. And when we're done fighting all the trash enemies that pop out the containment, these are a lot of Chimera, Lamias, Clockwork enemies, standard Elegant stuff. Once we finish with them, the platform terminates at the upper end of the shattered coil. So we're now at like the very peak of the structure. We've gone up, not down. And we can see now the horizon, the cloud cover over the north shroud, looking out from the shattered upper segment of the coil. This is the bioweapon storage area, and they have one last bioweapon for us before we're able to press on. So we step onto a round gold platform and are greeted by Melusine, who is a bioengineered Lamia, or snake woman. And unlike most Lamia enemies, she has actual snake hair, more like a Medusa for being finicky.
0: Yeah, this is is like the Greek mythology portion of the coil, just Just as as far as monsters go. We got Cyclops. We got Medusas.
1: Yep. (laughs) There we go. This fight is very much like the eighth fight in the current raid series, because this uses the exact same gaze mechanics as the snakes do in that fight. So that is like the main gimmick here. If you get that down, you're good to go. So a few things to watch out for. One, she will cast Cursed Voice. Cursed voice hits random players, three random players with a debuff that when it expires, they will gaze in a cone outward from them, a petrifying ray. Any players caught in this will be petrified and it's going to suck. You'll be tied up immobile for like 10 seconds. What you want to do is you want to point this ray at these cyclops as they'll be spawning in. They're called Renauds. Sure. That. Yeah. If you do, that will petrify the Cyclops and they will become like a stone barrier for the other mechanic. The other stone mechanic called Cursed Shriek. This targets one character. That character will get a debuff on them that looks like a orange circle. When that debuff expires, all players in their line of sight will be petrified. So the person with the Cursed Shriek debuff must go behind the Cyclops that's petrified, and that will block the gaze that emanates out from them.
0: Right. Yeah. It's just like hiding behind a boulder.
1: Though in our fight, we had a few slip ups with that where, like, where someone accidentally killed the Cyclops early or whatever. And so we had a couple times when the full party got petrified. It was very tense watching like things wail on our characters, hoping the debuff ticked off before we wipe.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a fun one, though.
1: Beyond that, though, there's a lot of adds in the fight. A lot of little Lamias that join in the fight. Off Tank grabs those, burn them down as quickly as possible. If, though, you're petrified and these things spawn in, they will add up very quickly.
0: Yeah, I think at every point in the fight, somebody was petrified in some capacity.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's rough, but we got through it. Um, Got the clear. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we press on. We now enter second coil, turn three. We have now descended. I'm not really sure how we got from like being at the very top of the coil down to 3,256 yalms below the surface, but we did. Either the elevator turned around and dropped us down further or something else, but we got here.
0: Yeah, we just click on a terminal and wherever we end up, that's where the elegans decided to send us.
1: Sure. So we're now aboard another Ragnarok class starship. So this gets super confusing to me. As we enter, we get a brief cutscene with Alizé remarking that the elegans excelled in the creation of chimerical beasts, and the red moon teamed with a thousand thousand fantastical monstrosities. These may be the children that Nail Nail. spoke of, possibly. Uh, We're not sure yet. Back now to that Ragnarok-class starship. So in the binding coil, we were aboard a fallen starship called the Ragnarok. This is definitely the name of that ship because it's written in italics in the Duty Finder. That's about as objective of a source as you can get. But also the internment hulks, the, the, um, the coils we're in, these are also Ragnarok class internment hulks. And now the starship we're in during the second coil is a Ragnarok class starship. So maybe the internment hulk is also a starship. It's weird because the duty finder here says we're inside a starship too, but is it different than the spaceship called the Ragnarok we were in last time or not? There's a lot of Ragnaroks going around here. They got to pick a different word for something or not name the ship. Right. The classification of a bunch of ships. Yeah, there's like
0: a, a unique title for a particular vessel versus using that term for an entire class of equipment, which could also include vessels or weapons, or, you know, whatever. So it is confusing.
1: So my best bet here is that we are inside a Ragnarok-class starship that is inside the Ragnarok-class internment Hulk that is different than the starship called the Ragnarok we were inside last time. I think. Yeah. Great. Agreed. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, this turn looks like it's going to be a navigation puzzle like the turn three of Binding Coil, but it's actually really easy. We have three starship decks we can go between, and we can use these jump platforms that are configurable. So you can point the direction and so on you jump in, and then it will take you up or down the different decks of the starship. However, the critical path to the boss fight is you go forward, you skip the first jump platform, you point the second jump platform to the forward right position, you jump off of it, and then bam, you're right in front of the door leading to the boss fight. There are probably, I think, 12 different jump platforms in the whole area across three decks that you can be lost in for the whole duty timer but it's not that hard to figure out either because I was actually I didn't use a guide for this I just used the mini map and I looked at the boss location and worked backwards from there like okay so I just got to go forward jump here I'm good to go and that was the correct answer so point being maybe it's supposed to be like a navigation challenge for the first time and you're like you're supposed to run through the starship and there are patrolling elegant nodes here that will attack you in like in reinforcements they will follow you so it seems like it's meant to be kind of like a stealth thing where you're kind of dodging through the starship which would be cool potentially speaking but it's not the way it actually ends up because there's a very simple critical path very simple so again this was all new ground for the final fantasy 14 team they they didn't know all their stuff very well yet so maybe they're trying to do too many things at once here i don't know Either way, though, we follow the short path to the boss fight and reach it. This guy is the Avatar. This is a very cool enemy. It's a bulbous robot body with six different little head-like nodes poking out the top of its torso. And I think they're actually the heads of missiles, though, even though they look like little robot heads. He also has four robo arms, two on each side. This fight is very technically complex here. A lot of moving parts is on par, I think, with current savage mechanics or at least extreme mechanics in terms of people having their own responsibilities to do. And you must do them in concert. Otherwise, you will wipe. Mm -hmm. For the most part, this guy's going to wail on the main tank like you do in general. He has an ability called Brain Jack, which will confuse the main tank, making them attack friendlies. You want to give the main tank a friendly that's in their zone so they don't go running around the arena, dragging the boss all over the place and bringing cleaves on top of the party. So give like a sacrificial kind of confused target for the main tank to attack when they get brain jacked. There's also ballistic missile. This is two missiles that get fired. One is a two person stack. One's a three person stack. The people who are targeted by this cannot move once they're targeted. So people will need to go to them and stack the exact number of players, two or three. Otherwise, you will be one shot no matter what your level is, unsynced or no. Yep. There's a cool life hack, though, where if you have the players stacked together, they will drop the two and three stack on the same location. And the three stack circle is bigger than the two stack circle. So you have an automatic two stack with the two targeted players in the middle. You just have one player go into the outer ring, the three stack ring, and then you resolve the mechanic. Easy. Yeah. Otherwise, the main mechanic, though, here are the bio towers. There are four towers in this arena. They have like little charge bars on them, like a battery, pretty much.
0: Yeah, I guess not not like a battery, but like a battery symbol. But it's showing, yeah. yeah.
1: These are located at the cardinal points of the arena. So what happens is that during the fight, the avatar will activate these various towers in various combinations. What you need to do is make sure that the towers do not charge fully at the same time. Which means players will need to go into their these like damage fields around the towers to slow down the charging
0: well it's actually speeding it up oh excuse me the the towers are going to have um, I think five about like five steps so there's gonna be um, a couple that will materialize and they will start to light up and um, like each segment of the column will gradually you know increase and they're gonna do it at the same rate but that's bad. Because if both columns achieve full power at the same time, then everybody... It, it's a wipe. So what you have to do is speed up one of them so it goes off before the other so they don't get to have that um, that uh, synergy. Um, so when y'all need to agree on a tower to pick, a couple people need to go in there to to speed up its its charge so that it goes off before the other. Um
1: Even when spaced out correctly, the towers all have an ability that happens when they resolve. Two of them do raid wides, whatever. One of them summons in a dreadnought. This is the big, bulky steampunk Like a clockwork, yeah. Yeah. One tower spawns in landmines. These are places in the arena that hidden little mines appear. What you need to do counterintuitively is that you need to actually detonate the mines yourself. Like you want to walk on the landmines. Because if you don't set them off prematurely, when they go off, they will do tons of damage. So maybe they're charging up themselves and you got to do like the partial charge before they do the full charge. I don't know. Anyway, the off tanks should run around and they should trip the landmines before they go off. If you do all that, you're golden. Avatar defeated. And I think that's where we'll leave off for this episode. Next time, we'll be wrapping up the second coil.
0: All right, and that will do it for today's episode. Um, If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, We have uh, podreturnffxiv at gmail.com. And then if you check the show notes, you'll find information for the Discord, and you can join the Discord and talk about, I mean, anything you want. Uh, You can share screenshots, uh, join us for group runs, you know, whatever. And if you want we have uh, patreon.com slash pod return of FXIV. we publish bonus episodes at least monthly um if you wanted to you know throw a buck in the tip jar you'll get access to that stuff and uh yeah so we hope you enjoyed this episode thank you guys so much for listening have a good day or night and we will see you next time